You're listening to Boston Needs to Know on WBCA 102.9 FM, a show highlighting local Boston news. On February 18th, Mayor Michelle Wu announced that the Be Together policy, which requires patrons and staff in certain indoor spaces to show proof of vaccination against COVID-19, will be lifted effective immediately. The requirement to wear masks in public indoor spaces remains in place. The Boston Public Health Commission will be reviewing the mask mandate in conjunction with the Board of Health. Since early in the pandemic, the BPHC has been tracking health metrics to guide the city's response. Today's public health data shows the three metrics, the daily positivity rate, the occupancy rate of adult ICU beds, and the seven-day average of adult COVID-19 hospitalizations have all fallen below the three previously announced thresholds. I think it was a little too early to drop the proof. I personally am very cautious. I work with kids, so I'm around a lot of germs on a daily basis. So I would have preferred it being dropped maybe towards the spring when it was a little hotter, more opportunities for outdoor dining, but that's just my opinion. I think it's time to allow people to have more freedom without requiring the vaccine card because uh, we're looking at statistics showing us that perhaps up to 75% of the population has either been infected or vaccinated. And, and uh, that's giving us a lot of cushion so that we don't have to overwhelm the healthcare systems with everyone getting sick at the same time, which is why we've had to do what we've had to do. But the time has come. I think um, Mayor Wu's uh, looking at the numbers and they're coming down and we just need to uh, be smart and eat well. I don't really eat in, in restaurants. I have recently eaten, like in flour, who does require, um, who was requiring vaccinations. But I wouldn't have gone in to eat if I didn't know they, did, they required that. Um, so I have, you know, I'm senior, I have diabetes, I have asthma, I don't want to get COVID. So I definitely, you know, I'm a high-risk person. So, and, and I, I kept my mask on the whole time, and I stuck the food under my mask. So, you know, so I'm, I'm for both the mask and the vaccination. It's tricky for businesses. I think when it was a requirement, it was a lot easier to just require it across the board for any business because we could rely on the city and just say, hey, it's, you know, it's a requirement of the city, it's not our rule. Now it's a little bit trickier because we have to decide if it's going to be our in-house rule or if it's just going to be something that we're not going to do. So um, so I think that's made it a little bit trickier for a small business to just kind of figure out, okay, what are their policies and, um, and making sure that they're going by those and, you know, keeping those up with customers. But hopefully everybody can continue to stay safe and that they understand and uh, we all can take care of each other. You know, we never know when this uh, uh, disease is going to creep up on us. Uh, Matter of fact, I had uh, COVID and I was uh, in, uh, in submission for two months. But, uh, you know, I think that hopefully that the people that are no longer using masks, hopefully that uh, they won't catch the COVID anymore. On February 24th, Mayor Michelle Wu announced the creation of Grow Boston and the Office of Urban Agriculture from the Fowler-Clark Epstein Farm in Mattapan. The new office is in the housing cabinet, and among its goals is to increase food production, develop food production resources for farmers, gardeners, and other residents, and to provide technical assistance to existing gardens and farms. 
Grow Boston will also work on mitigating climate change while identifying and rectifying injustices in the current food system. The mayor also announced that the Office of Food Access will be renamed the Office of Food Justice and will be part of the Environment, Energy, and Open Space Cabinet. The mission of this office will be to build a food system that is equitable, resilient, and sustainable. Grow Boston is based in food production, while the Office of Food Justice will be focused on food access. Urban farming is exploding in Boston because it is so important for our neighbors to be able to access fresh local produce, chemical-free, pesticide-free. And it's also important that we have more and more land to grow on so that we can train more and more urban farmers to do just that. It's a domino effect. The more we grow, the more folks are coming to our farm stand, the more they're interested in growing their own food, uh, growing their own seedlings, feeding their families. And also keep in mind, there's not that many local supermarkets. So to have farm stands available and to know the farmers from the Urban Farming Institute to literally help train the entire community on how to grow their own food is critical to the health and well-being of Mattapan and all of our residents. Urban agriculture in general, which includes urban farming, community gardening, uh, personal gardening at, the, at your home, um, food forests, all of that provides um, a really much stronger food system because we have local food readily accessible rather than only food that's brought in from other places. And so I think what's important about it is that it really strengthens, strengthens the food system for um, difficult times and um, gives people more connection with the land. Urban farming um, gives people in especially low-income communities of color much easier access to fresh, affordable, organic produce and it can provide very culturally appropriate food that can be hard to get in mainstream grocery stores and it's um, a good way to not have to use carbon and to travel far to get organic food elsewhere outside of the city and it, growing the food yourself um, provides like a connection with the earth that can be hard to come by in the city. I think urban farming continues to expand and grow um, in Boston as well as around Massachusetts and around the country uh, because people recognize the importance of fresh, healthy, locally grown food. And the food that we grow is distributed primarily in the neighborhoods that we are growing in, and it's grown by residents of the neighborhoods that we live and grow our food in. This is important because it helps to increase access to fresh, healthy food in places where access can be a challenge. It's also important because it provides people from the city with opportunities to connect with the land, to get outside, engage with healthy green activities. Urban farming is getting bigger in our city. That's great because that is how we, people who live in the city, connect with our food system, gain appreciation for who grows our food and what it takes to grow food. And through the urban farms, even though they are small in the city, we can only get small spaces like what you see here, but it connects you to farmers and to farming and to fresh food and to ways in which we can care for our environment. These farms can show us how to do composting, which is better than throwing your food into an incinerator. These farms can show us how to do rainwater harvesting, which is important for us to learn how to cope with climate change that's unfolding right in front of our eyes. So urban farming is our connection to food, but it is also our connection to each other and to the environment. February 25th, the first class of 2022's Boston Fire Department's recruits were sworn in at Florian Hall in Dorchester. 
the group of 90 individuals from diverse backgrounds and many neighborhoods of Boston was the largest recruiting class in the history of the BFD. The recruits' training involves 16 weeks of learning firefighting job skills, followed by a rigorous five weeks training in EMS, which when concluded will certify them as an EMT. A key component of their job training is to learn how to work as a team and understand that each one of them has a job to do. Their training stresses that they don't have to be the biggest or the strongest to be a good firefighter, but have to know how to do the job in the most efficient way. I know me and I'm sure a lot of the other recruits out there were very excited to give back and I know this is a position that's not given to everyone but it's one that we found ourselves in and we're going to take full advantage of uh, over the next couple months this training that we're going to go through with the instructors that we have. We're going to learn everything we need to learn to be able to give back to the city. It's about family, friends, uh, your neighbors, um, everyone that has been involved in your life and then the greater city of Austin. You want to make sure that you know what you're doing every day, day to day, is something that you're proud of. It's something that you want to do every day, and this is a unique position I found myself in to be able to serve for the Boston Fire Department. They're all veterans. They've already had that desire to serve our country. They've all had um, the experience of to do the right thing to help out um, and protect people. So that's already embedded in them, and most of these young. All these young kids want to bring that, continue that. They've had a taste of what it feels like to do the right thing. This is a very dangerous job, and there's not one of us that come to work thinking we're not going to go home at the end of the day. Their training is going to prepare them for the worst day they could have. Uh, and that, that was seen 50 years ago with the Vendome. Uh, none of those uh, people that showed up and died at that fire uh, actually believed that they weren't going to get home that day. So the thought of coming into work every day and, and, and doing the job, uh, uh, we rely on our training to prepare us and, and to keep us uh, physically, mentally focused on what we need to do to get through the day. But at the end of the day, the most important part of our training is to make sure that we all get home safely. I know very deeply what you're signing up for, what it means to families who are on the other side getting a phone call that in a moment of something going quite wrong, someone didn't make it out of that fire. You are there to answer the call in those moments when things go wrong, when everything important to that particular family is on the line, you step up and run into the situation to help. You step up in many situations, day to day, whenever our residents are, in, are at risk, are in need of help, you will be there. And that at times can be a great personal sacrifice to your families, to your well-being, to your mental health. So I want to echo what Father John has said in making sure that you are always taking care of yourself as human beings too, even as you are in full service to our entire communities. For the land of the free and the home of the brave.
On February 26th, the courage, valor, and overall contribution that the African-American soldier has made to our country's military effort was celebrated at Florian Hall in Dorchester at the fifth annual African-American Heritage Month Veterans Brunch. African-Americans have served in all combat service elements alongside their white counterparts and have been involved in all major wartime combat operations. By the end of the Civil War, more than 179,000 black men 10% of the Union Army served as soldiers in the United States Army, and another 19,000 in the Navy. The courage and loyalty of the all-black 54th Regiment in the Civil War was legendary as they fought valiantly without pay rather than accept less pay than the white soldiers. The Tuskegee Airmen, the first flying unit in the U.S. military, made up primarily of black men, shot down more than 100 enemy airplanes in World War II. This proud military heritage was on display at Florian Hall as those gathered there were showing their appreciation for their brothers and sisters who have played a major role in protecting our nation's freedom. The key thing is to honor the African-American you know, soldier's service to our nation and to our country and the fact that they were been willing to put their life on the line in defense of our nation and that less than 1% of the country has ever done that. And especially in these times where our country is under so many different duresses, honoring their service is a reminder of, to their families of what, they, what they've given and why they've given so much. To not to honor them is to not to is not to let them know how much you appreciate what they did and to take for granted the, the things that you get to have every single day, whether it's freedom of speech or, or you know, right to assemble or being able to go and have dinner or all the things that many of us take for granted, they fought for that. And not to take a moment to honor their service and sacrifice and to also honor their family sacrifices for the deployments and, and everything else that they've had to endure, it, it, to me it, it's, 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 it, it doesn't speak of the kind of country that that we actually live in and believe in as the United States. The only colors of our military service is red, white, and blue, the colors of our American flag. So being able to honor, recognize our veterans of any demographic is very important. It just so happens that this month is, is uh, Black History Month, and this is our way of honoring our black veterans and their families and those that came before them setting the stage for where we are today. And I'm very proud of not just their service, but all our service. But it means just so much more to be able to honor our black veterans and recognize them because they've been fighting for this country since the American revolutions, since this country first uh, became a country. The reason for a brunch like this is to recognize and honor our black American veterans. And so for a very long time, have not been recognized for their service. And this is one of the biggest reasons why we hold this brunch every year. It's essential that we honor veterans, veterans of all ages, ethnicities, and genders. African-American veterans have been very active and very involved running towards the battle while we're protecting our family members that are staying behind all the way back to the Revolutionary War. And we appreciate and we thank you for acknowledging us and for our service to our country. The African Americans have been in every major conflict since this, uh, the American Revolution. They fought in the American Revolution, they fought, they fought in the War of 1812, never being recognized as, war, as well as the Spanish-American War. Uh, we had the Tuskegee Airmen, you know, the 54th in the Civil War, and very limited recognition, very. They, they had not been properly recognized, probably up even to the Vietnam era. 
I would say after the Vietnam era, there's been much more recognition to the service that the African Americans have been providing. But up until that point, they, were, they, they weren't even treated equally. African Americans were expected to go fight like everybody else, but when they came back to the United States, they discriminated against. Jim Crow laws were still in effect, and they, they've never been properly recognized for their service. And obviously, we are lacking the recognition of our African American brothers and sisters that fought in battle. It's way overdue.